There's another kind of song that I used to play when I was a little bit smaller. It's not really a song because it has no words. It went like this. One, two, three, two, two. The Beatles' words are very much of their time. I will present as much context for their statements as I can, but there will be language and views expressed that may not fit with modern sensitivities. But this is 1969. Until they invent the time machine, these words remain unchangeable. Good morning. Nine, eight, seven, this is roll 29. 29. Three, two, one. Can't operate under these conditions, boy. You're not working without. It's like, it's like that we're like, we're striking. That's what it is, it's like a strike. And this is what we're going through now, really. discontent with the Beatles. Hello, and welcome to Winter of Discontent, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the recordings of the Beatles sessions for the Get Back Project. My name is Nick. Join me now as we embark on this epic journey together. Welcome back once again to January 7th, 1969. The Beatles will shortly be returning from lunch. We don't know what they discussed, but some of the negativity of earlier seems to have dissipated. We'll get to this shortly, but as usual, I'd like to recommend a podcast that you might enjoy. It's called Chart Music and bills itself as the Top of the Pops podcast. If you think this show is detailed, these guys can squeeze four to five hours of analysis out of one 40-minute archive episode of what used to be Britain's flagship pop programme. Aside from analysis of the music and the artists, their social commentary and the context that illustrates how Top of the Pops was a microcosm of British culture brought into our living rooms once a week. It's a little too sweary for younger listeners, but it is often hilariously laugh out loud while trying to run funny. So I highly recommend it. I'd like to say a big thank you to the fabulous listeners who've stopped by my Buy Me A Coffee page and left me a tip. Your generous contributions will go back into the show, helping me buy archive material for my research. So a big thank you to Sandy, Angela, Sarah, Glenn, Evan, K-Buck and Kat. You guys are incredible. If you'd also like to leave a tip for the show, please go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash wadpod. As usual, before we catch up with the Beatles, let's go through everyone's least favourite part of the show, the recap. We join the Beatles following a lengthy conversation where they come close to cancelling the project altogether, but instead of that, they elect to do some rehearsal. Paul counts in, I've got a feeling, but John plays the chords to She Came In Through The Bathroom Window. His bandmates tease him about it, and it takes John a few seconds to realise his mistake. The initial run-through is a little rusty as they struggle to remember all their parts. 
Once again, Paul directs the band and reminds everyone what they should be doing. Ringo, as usual, has remembered all his parts. Despite the earlier conversation, Paul wants everyone to rehearse their parts exactly how they will do it in the live show. The live show that no one has agreed to. They continue to work on the ending. Paul asks Ringo not to swing with the guitar. They forget how many repeats they used to do at the end. And George then wonders if he still needs to sing during John's part and the counter melody section. John quotes a line from Wonderful from the Beach Boys Smiley Smile album. Focusing much more on fine detail, George suggests singing the Oh Yeah backing vocal in unison and the Oh No's in harmony. This is how the Beatles refine and polish their compositions, by going over and over them. Despite the argument of the sixth, Paul has gone back to try to dictate what George should play on guitar. They move on from I've Got a Feeling, initially getting prepared to play Maxwell Silver Hammer. Paul moves to the piano and mics are moved into position, causing some quite shrill feedback. Glyn seems to be close to getting set up for recording. He discusses the drum sound with Ringo and how the mics will pick up the snare drum. As George puts on his bass, Paul talks to Kevin, but it's not clear what this is about. It involves Kevin calling someone this afternoon. Ringo leads John and Paul into a loose jam while they wait for George. As George plugs in, they jam another blues-based tune. Before they start work on Maxwell's Silver Hammer, John requests that Paul play Oh Darling. John and George then attempt to play along with varying success. This reminds George of Elvis's tune, One Night. In fact, even the line, I'll never do you no harm, is similar to the line in One Night, I ain't never did no wrong. It should be noted that the version of Oh Darling in January 1969 is a semitone higher than the finished version on Abbey Road, which is why Paul struggles with the vocal in the middle section. As a result, George tells Paul that he would prefer to rehearse Maxwell. Paul concedes, then briefly plays the piano part to The Long and Winding Road. They roughly run through Maxwell, refreshing their memories. Then Paul leads the band into a run-through. At the end of the chorus, George and Ringo play the waltz time tag that they tried out in the last rehearsal. Paul flatly states he doesn't like it, so it is dropped. As they run through the song, Paul improvises a different tag, but this too is unsatisfactory. Once again, Paul directs the arrangement, telling John to play the guitar like a ukulele. George clicks his tongue along to the rhythm and Paul likes it. Another run through and Paul improvises another tag after the chorus. A descending line, which they then stick with. He dictates both the guitar and bass parts simultaneously. George quibbles over the bass line and between him and Paul they work out a better one. Another run through and John takes a solo that veers off course at the end. He then improvises a bit of musical comedian's banter over the tag which suits the mood of the song. As George and Paul discuss the arrangement and Paul demonstrates the order of verses, choruses etc, John starts whistling which inspires Paul. It's getting close to lunch, but George wants to carry on working. At this point, Paul suggests whistling the tag, which will be a feature of the song for the time being. John also whistles a solo rather than attempt it again on guitar. Paul counts in another run-through, this time dictating how John should whistle his solo. They break for lunch. 
Paul suggests straw boaters and blazers for this one. They'll have other presentation ideas for the song later. John, a bit more lively than earlier, presents his guitar to George, holding it aloft for him to take. And they head for the canteen, Maxwell having inspired them more than the other songs they've tried. Let's join them now as they return from lunch and continue work on Maxwell's Silver Hammer. The first thing we hear is someone, possibly Glyn, saying, I tell you to fuck off for wasting my time. We're not sure who this refers to. The Beatles return from lunch. Paul sits behind the drum kit ahead of everyone. 115 sync. Glyn is talking to George about mic positioning. George is making reference to his Los Angeles sessions. So he at least is talking about his recordings with Jackie Lomax. Ringo admonishes Paul, tells him to get on the piano and get down to work, and presumably off the drums. Paul responds, sounding like the Goon Show character Blue Bottle. Ringo jokes, I'm not here to waste my time. Kevin tells Ringo, Mal has got an anvil and wonders where Ringo wants it. This comment, alongside Paul's comment earlier about mugshot, might be a reference to Ethan A. Russell, who had started working today taking photos for the project. If you have a copy of the 2021 release of the Get Back book that accompanies the documentary, you'll find the pictures that are alongside the transcripts for the first three days' rehearsals are all just scans of the 16mm film frames. From the 7th of January, however, the majority of the photos are credited to Ethan A. Russell. It's fair to assume from this that Ethan joined the project on this day. Hence the comments from both Paul and Ringo about shots. This would also explain why Ethan has no recollection of any altercation between Paul and George during the sessions, since that happened the day before he started. Russell made a decision to take up photography only three years earlier, in 1966, after watching David Hemming's performance in Antonioni's film Blow Up. His father bought him his first camera and with it Russell began exploring the rock scene in his hometown of San Francisco before heading for London in the hope of finding a more swinging scene. He lucked into an assignment taking pictures of John and Yoko. Both were impressed at how he managed to capture their love for one another, 
But it was his photographs of Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones during their rock and roll circus production that caught the interest of Apple MD Neil Aspinall. It was Neil who invited the 22-year-old Russell to Twickenham Film Studios to take publicity pictures of the rehearsals. I was initially hired by Neil Aspinall. First off, he tried to hire me for a day, and I said I wouldn't do it for a day, and that I needed three days. So I got this little bit of time that I could shoot with them, which gave me enough capacity to have a little bit more of what was going on. What he captured in those three days impressed the Beatles and their team. I went down to Apple to show those pictures to Derek Taylor, who was the press officer. It was kind of crazy. He went into Peter Brown's office, which was the only quiet room in the house. It was a big room and we started to project the images on the wall of his office. They were these big sort of wide angle shots, some of them from the rafters of them playing. So they were impressed. They were impressive photographs. Tony Richmond's lighting had all that color in it, so they were pretty impressive. It was only supposed to be Derek and maybe Neil Aspinall and me. And while it was happening, Paul McCartney walked in, Ringo Starr walked in, George Harrison walked in, and John and Yoko walked in. It wasn't me that suggested doing a book. Someone said we should do a book, and then I was hired permanently. We are then treated to various feeds capturing Ringo singing a version of Maxwell's Silver Hammer. It's not known whether they discussed this during lunch, but the song is better suited as a vehicle for Ringo. Paul joins in with a little thank you for Glyn. So nice to be here, says Paul in the tag. Still making it sound like a music hall routine. Oh, so nice to be here. Improvisation from George and Paul. John doesn't appear to have returned yet. speak to me the three Beatles jam on Paul follows George's line by ear pretty well (laughs) 
Patrick Beadle's song, When I'm 64. Paul delivers When I'm 64 like a poem. When I get older, losing my hair, many years from now, will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. If I've been out, sings it over the chords of Speak To Me. Michael says, I thought it said Vaseline. So it sounds like Paul was reading the lyrics from somewhere. Pure speculation on my part, but the back cover of Sergeant Pepper would be a good source. Mal rather lamely jokes when I'm 24 and follows it with a ho-ho. All the while, you can hear a crackle on the tape. We then discover it's Glyn Johns fiddling with the various connections, trying to find the source of a crackling noise, which he appears to have located. Tape cuts. This is roll 60, slate 116. Camera A. George says to Ringo, don't use your symbol, I think it's one of them. And Ringo duly obliges. Mal has set up the hammer and anvil, much to Ringo's amusement. For a brief while, there's a call and response across the soundstage. This feature we're calling Mal Evans, musician. While working as a telecommunications engineer for the post office in Liverpool, Mal recalled, I used to go out window shopping in my lunch hour. I went down Matthew Street. It was a small, dingy street with warehouses down the side, and it was to lead me around the world. I walked down the street and the most incredible music I'd heard was coming up from beneath my feet. I paid a shilling, went into the cavern, and the Beatles were on. I fell in love with them. Over the years of working with the Beatles, he developed a reputation as a kind of Mr. Fix-It. George said of him, He had a big bag that he developed over the years. But it would always be, Mal, have you got an elastoplast? Mal, have you got a screwdriver? Mal, have you got a bottle of this? Have you got that? 
He always had everything. If he didn't have it, he'd get it very quickly. Once when the Beatles were cruising the canals in Amsterdam, they spotted someone wearing a cloak that they all liked. Mal was tasked with finding out where he had purchased it. His solution? Jump into the canal and swim to the person with the cloak. Although he couldn't find out where the item came from, he went one better and bought the cloak off of them. And so it was with the hammer and anvil. Paul has the idea seconds before they all go to lunch, and when they return, Mal has secured one. We don't know where he got it. It couldn't have been easy, but they were working on a film studio lot, so perhaps there was an obliging prop department that helped out. However it was acquired, Ringo is bemused by the idea of trying to play an anvil at the same time as the drums. Naturally, good old reliable Mal is there to step in. According to one commenter on the Beatles Bible website, Mal wasn't entirely musically illiterate. He was apparently quite proficient on the banjo, during his younger days at least. And one of his first tasks for the Beatles was to repair their amps using GPO facilities and equipment. Often, due to the limitations of the four-track recording equipment, Mal would be called on to bang or shake something in a largely uncredited and one suspects unpaid capacity. The songs that Mal is believed to have contributed to are as follows, but there may be more. On You Won't See Me, he plays one note on the Hammond organ. On Yellow Submarine, he joins in the chorus and reportedly plays a big bass drum strapped to his chest as the song fades, leading a procession around the studio. He also contributed to the sound effects. On You Know My Name, Look Up The Number, he shoveled gravel, rhythmically. On Being For The Benefit Of Mr Kite, he played bass harmonica. On A Day In The Life, he played the alarm clock and also was one of the piano players creating that climactic final chord. On Dear Prudence, he contributes tambourine and joins in with the chant in the middle section. On Helter Skelter, he blows an avant-garde trumpet. On What's The New Mary Jane, he shakes a handbell relentlessly. What he didn't contribute to in the final recorded version of Maxwell's Silver Hammer, ironically, is the anvil. That honour fell to Ringo, who had decided by this point that the hammer wasn't too heavy for him after all. Then there's a strange monologue from Paul about how it's not necessary to go to Kashmir with the Maharishi to study meditation. I'm not sure without visuals what could be inspiring this. However, it should be noted that the Beatles in fact left the Maharishi's course before it moved to Kashmir for the summer. Now I will readily admit that it is not necessary to travel to Kashmir to study with the Maharishi to learn to meditate. But I can imagine it, it must be useful to be able to isolate oneself for a while. George tunes the bass and Mal tries the anvil out. Paul starts, Oh Darling. 
John can be heard on guitar. Perhaps Paul is pitching this song again, knowing that John likes it. John plays some convincing lead guitar on this kind of song, but George struggles to follow. Paul once again references Elvis's One Night in the Bridge. in Maxwell's one, Silver Hammer. Two, Ringo reminds one, him of two, the tempo. Three, it sounds like George is giving Mal some direction on the anvil in the background. John was quizzical. And right on cue, Mal hits the anvil in the right place. This section sounds very like the audio used briefly in the Let It Be film. out a number of endings. thinks the song is catchy enough. They try to direct Mal to play again at the end of the song, 
George is also suggesting something for the intro, but Mal seems unconvinced. A one, two, a one, 117 two, sync camera A. At this point, we can hear Yoko for the first time today. This sounds to me like Yoko is saying, I think it's rather unfair, don't you? To which John replies, You can't win, Paul. This leads to Paul making this strange comment, presumably about John and Yoko. The They May Be Parted blog states that this is about the characters in the song. No, no, it's just... It's so We can also hear George discussing the arrangement with Ringo and then working through it together. And Michael and Tony discussing camera angles and shots which seem to involve shooting through the glasses and bottles of the various beetle beverages. Paul is now going through the guitar part with John. No, it's just straight on the chord. There's even more than a bit Another run through, but Paul's vocal is mixed too low at the start. One, two, Strangely, no mics are set up for John and George today. Uh, we want mic for John and George on this because they whistle on this. This sounds like Paul giving George instructions to get a less distorted bass sound. This. Yeah. 
Paul asking Glyn to turn the piano up on the PA. If he can hear him, that is. My guess now is that Glyn is in a separate area, like the booth shown in the Get Back documentary, and the feeds from the mics are going to him first, and the PA is now acting as a fallback system, hence why we could hear all the band except Paul at the start of the last run-through. But he was faded up shortly after. Hear me, Glyn. You can't turn up the PA on the piano, can you? This is roll 61, A camera, slate 118. John was quizzical, studied metaphysical science in the hall. Doesn't really sound like it's coming out of that, does it? Hello? 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 John starts a high-speed kind of ragtime version of the song accompanied by George and Ringo abruptly cut off by Paul but they're having fun with this one. George asks if they can practice the end for Mal's benefit. struggles with the timing goes, on his one beat. Uh, do the last chorus then. It goes, uh, and it, it's it's the second lot of those. Ringo suggests two beats. George asks if Ringo could play the anvil and the drums. Ringo says no, the hammer is too heavy. But Mal's more like Maxwell anyway. And imagine Maxwell's falling. <laughs> No, it should be very sort of scholarly, you know, just very sort of straight in a striped tie and a blazer, sort of. Maxwell, <laughs> but a big chrome hammer. And that's how I've seen him anyway, just sort of very... You do sort of agree, basically, but we differ in deferentials. Paul, thinking about the presentation, states that Mal is like how we imagined Maxwell to be. Perhaps he would have been dressed up like this for the show. Oh. 
Quizzical, all of that. It was like two verses. You don't want this, do you? Does, I haven't got, I haven't written the last one. You just don't know it in my head, you know, rather than the words. Yeah. Oh, you don't need because any words. Because the words are not in the right order anyway. I'd have to really get them all. Yeah, right. George is still unsure about the structure. Once again, Paul seems only able to articulate how many verses, choruses there are by singing the whole thing through. It's like two verses of the dun 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 out to the pictures Joe Glyn is talking to John about the various mics he has in front of him presumably for his recording equipment well, that's at the end of the two verses dun, dun, dun. Oh! bang bang Maxwell Silver. A camera slate 120 that's nice fellas back in school again Maxwell is a coincidence, say I fool, Maxwell fool. It's interesting that we are this far through the song arrangement without the lyrics being complete in the second or third verses. Bang, bang, Maxwell John is contributing for a change. Do it through quieter now. Just, just sort of everyone, just quiet. Okay. So it's whistling. Two what, verses. Then. Yeah. Whenever I play bass, 
because I don't know anything about it. Uh. I don't know what the sound is. I just plug it in and play it. So if somebody knows how to get the sound well, the or record it, I mean, time. Glenn will have to do that. Yeah. He's, he's around. Oh, yeah. So you can mention that. George asks, whoever it is that's producing me, clearly unsure whether he needs to speak to Glenn or George Martin, that they need to work on his bass sound because he doesn't really know anything about it. We hear from Michael that Glenn is probably doing this in the other room, so his booth is now. Not sure whether this is a serious idea, but John now provides a spoken introduction to the song. Let me tell you the story about Maxwell was a young boy like any other boy, and he might have lived a life like any other young boy's life had it not been for some certain unforeseen circumstances. Although I couldn't find an F.D. Cohen in Bayswater, there are a number of pawn shops in the Bayswater area of London still to this day, including one which I shan't name, but it has a rather colourful Yelp review. You're a little bit loath to shop at these kinds of places, but you got to do what you got to do sometimes. They cash the checks and lend you money, but be definitely careful borrowing money, especially in this economic climate. You don't know when they're going to be on you with a pair of pliers. Another run through, a bit more polished now. Bass sorted, guitar part complete, drum parts correct, and anvil in place. George chips in. We really should get more people singing in that bit. Second chorus, John and George attempt harmonies. So you do, do learn the solo. With, uh, lots of people singing the chorus, bang, bang, Axel Savannah. Yeah. But it's very difficult for me to whistle and sing and keep uh, in sync. George is discovering that playing bass and singing at the same time is more difficult than he thought. A skill Paul has mastered. Every time he goes, don't you think it's like one of them? Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, all together. Maybe we could get all these yeah. singing it or something. Yeah. No, it should be like but the end of June. They'll all know it and then we just say join in, gang, because we don't know it yet. Right. We could project it up, just have the chorus projected on the, on the back. John is keen on audience participation. Mal and George both think they could project the words on the backdrop behind them. It's a small thing maybe, but after a morning when they came close to abandoning the project altogether, Maxwell's Silverhammer is the first song that has inspired them to think about the presentation of the show. Audience participation, using the backdrop to project lyrics, Mal dressed up as Maxwell, this is why they'll spend longer today on rehearsing this song than any other. As such, it shows the gulf between the TV show envisioned at the start of the month and the final product by the end of January.
ball is still keen to control what everyone plays, or in this case, whistles. No, it's just one. Yeah. But George, so learn how the notes of the chorus go. Solo yeah. goes. Just do it straight. Yeah. John laughing at the sound of his breath on the mic as he whistles. Bang, bang, bang. Mal at least has his part down. Another run through, but the tape runs out. We assume this is a continuation of this performance. Roll 60. Now it seems like Paul has decided John should take the whistling solo rather than all of them. Mal missed his cue this time. George and he discuss where he needs to go in. Paul and John meanwhile discuss a harmony part. <laughs> There's a thing where you couldn't be doing a thing like a... going over and over how George is pronouncing the word silver, but that is being dictated by his bass playing. Bang, bang, Maxwell, silver,
to fit another typical Beatles augmented chord into the song as some kind of interlude. switches they're still fiddling with the sound in Glyn John's booth I presume they could really do with writing the structure down when I sort of go oh oh yeah let me hear it boys okay something like that then it's the solo John jokes that he sounds like Roger Whittaker, who he calls Ron Whittaker. Roger Whittaker was a British singer-songwriter born in Nairobi. He'd had a hit in 1968 with the track Mexican Whistler, which demonstrated his impressive whistling technique. Pop whistling wasn't exactly likely to become a fad, but the Beatles seemed keen to issue at least one song from these sessions with some form of whistling solo. When Maxwell Silverhammer didn't make the cut, John transplanted the idea onto the outro of two of us. So it should be very straight, the whistling. It should be exact. It'll work. I'm doing as straight as I Paul's still trying to control how John whistles.
Al is interacting with Ringo's drums, playfully, to create a different rhythm pattern. Just when he said... Could you shout something like, blow it, boys? Blow it, boys. Paul will cue the different parts this time. He also realises they need a lead-in to the song so they know what key to whistle. One, two, a one, two. So we know what key we're coming in. Someone is a bit too close to the mic, presumably John. Now John and George whistled the solo, this time to Paul's satisfaction. It's awfully nice to be here this evening, and of course, to share a moment with you is always a pleasure. Paul is happy with progress so far. You can also hear George advising Mal to play on the beat. He's saying he's so enthusiastic he's playing slightly ahead of the beat. Footage from this day does show Mal looking absolutely delighted to be banging an anvil with the band. And that's it. If you want to support the show, you can leave a tip at buymeacoffee.com forward slash wadpod. That's W-O-D-P-O-D. You can also interact with me on the socials, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, plus my Gmail, all titled Winter of Discontent Pod. Please like and subscribe and leave a review. It really helps other people find us. Thanks for listening and bye for now.